Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome back to the show today, 203-333-9422. So I saw this piece uh, on Connecticut Public Radio about a couple weeks ago that Connecticut nurses are calling for mandated staffing ratios and that at least at the beginning of this legislative session, it looks like there's a lot of support for this. So I wanted to bring some people on the show who know a lot more about their jobs than we do. We're only the patients And if we're unlucky enough to be the patients once in a while, it is what it is. But all of us at some point will get sick or we'll have a loved one that does. And the first thing we need are caring and competent nurses. And those are the first people that we see and very often the people that really in real time get us through our illnesses. So I asked John Brady to come in, and he's with us right now. I believe we're going to be joined in a couple of minutes by Randy Weingarten as well. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of who John Brady is, Uh, John Brady, you are the head of the Nurses Union, the AFL, here in Connecticut. Is that right? um, Wait, hold on. Let me put your mic on. That would be good. There you go. Hi. Hi. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for for having us on. This is an important uh, discussion. So I'm the vice president of AFD Connecticut. Um, and we are a union of about 34,000 in Connecticut, uh, educators, healthcare workers, and public employees. Okay, so that would include teachers? Yep, and uh, paraprofessionals. Paraprofessionals, all public employees, all state of Connecticut employees? Not all of them, no, but we have we have about 10,000 state employees in AFT Connecticut. Okay, and, okay, and then the nurses. Yes. Now, how is it that nurses, teachers, and state employees are all under the same union umbrella? How did that come to be? Well, you know, it's interesting, and, and we call ourselves, AFT calls itself a union of professionals, and there's actually some talk about possibly changing our name. Um, but we are the second largest nurses union in the country and the fastest growing healthcare union in the country. And when you think about the jobs that all of our members do, public public employees, uh, education, and health care, we truly are all in the caring fields. We're all caring for somebody, whether it's in a classroom or, or a hospital or in, in a public building or something. So, no, I can see the nurse and teacher kind of 
also because traditionally, at least a long time ago, those were professions predominantly open to women that women went into. If you ask my mom, who's in her 80s now, she said it was either become a nurse or a teacher if you wanted to work, or a secretary, or a secretary. But there weren't many options. So I can see that natural alliance. The public employees, I guess, is another conversation. But doesn't AFT stand for American Federation of Teachers, or is that... That's what, right? It it does. Okay. And it started as just a teacher's union. Okay. And then it branched out to include the paraeducators and school support staffs. And then some of the um, state nursing uh, associations um, used to be unionized, used to be unions. Oh. And so, like, in Connecticut, the Connecticut Nurse Association had unionized shops, not all of them. And they they kind of moved more to just an association, and at, at that time... That's when AFT Connecticut first um, got some locals. Um, so like Danbury nurses and Manchester nurses were already formed as locals in, in another union, and they, and they looked for an international home. So we're chatting with John Brady right now. Randy Weingarten may be joining us, 203-333-9422. So again, and correct me if you've already told me this, how many nurses do you represent in Connecticut now? We have in Connecticut we have about 7500 healthcare workers okay. and it's not all nurses. Not all nurses? It's, okay. It's, it's doctors, it's nurses. Doctors it's, too? Yep. We have a small That's number interesting. of doctors. Yep. Um, it is uh, technicians and technologists and it is even the people who clean the rooms and prepare the food which is vital. Um, so about half of those are registered nurses. Okay. Okay. And you're a nurse, correct? Yes. You've been a nurse for many years, you recently retired nurse? I uh, graduated in 1999. Um, I spent 21 years at the um, I spent 21 years at the Bax emergency room. Where is that? Where is that in hospital? In Norwich. In Norwich. Yeah, yeah I have and, relatives buried in Norwich. It's oh. another conversation. It's okay. They're <laughs> gone a long time. And I left the bedside <laughs> in um, 2015 when I was elected to this position. Oh, so now this is full-time what you do. Yes. So you're wearing scrubs that say AFT nurses and health professionals, but really you're not, you're not, in, the, you're not in the hospital anymore. I'm not in the hospital. Were you hosp- a hospital nurse, by the way, or a different kind of nurse? Yeah, I was a hospital nurse. Hospital I was nurse. in the emergency room. Emergency room. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 My you work, saw everything. My work, yeah. My work now in, in, in the bedside is limited to I vol- do volunteer work with um, the uh, Department of Health, the Northeast District Department of Health, through the Medical Reserve Corps. So I've done a lot of, um, of volunteer um, clinics, vaccination clinics. So we're chatting with John Brady. John, I, I'm always interested to know, you know, what makes some people do what they do? What made you want to help people in such a, in such a human one-to-one physical way. Where did that come from? You know, I kind of fell into it accidentally. Um, That's impossible. No. I was working. I'd worked many jobs, and I'd worked for quite a while for for a defense company, um, Command Aerospace, which is kind of like a small Pratt & Whitney. And I built airplane parts. And when the Cold War came to an end, there was retraining for, um, for displaced workers, and they tested me, and they said, did you ever consider nursing? And, well, I graduated um, high school in, in the early 70s, and they weren't, ex- they weren't pushing men into nursing. No, they were not. So, they, so, I, so they, they suggested that, and I became a nursing assistant, and I found out that I just totally loved it. Um, but nursing assistants don't get paid a lot of money, and I, I have family. So I, I bit the bullet, and I went back to school and um, became a nurse later in life. I just find that to be so wonderful. Um, 
So you're basically saying you did some kind of a career aptitude test and something about your personality, your traits, was a match with what the traits are needed to be a nurse. Yep, exactly. And what were they, do you think? Well, I I know they told me I scored high in math and science. And so that's what they said was. um, And they said, did you ever think about it? And I said, well... No, I never did, but I'm willing to try it. I'm out of work. So that's so interesting because when we think about nurses, math and science would not be the things that the patient would typically think are so critical to being a nurse. We'd be wrong. We would think about the touchy-feely, the human aspects, the empathy, you know, just the general kindness of being a nurse. But in fact, and my parents have both been hospitalized recently, I can tell you, you have to be a math and science genius, not to mention a mechanic. You have to be an actual mechanic. Yeah, I mean, we call it the we call it the art and science of nursing, and it truly is a blend of that. You you have to have the heart, and you have to lead with the heart, which is what makes it tough when the nurses of today can't do the job that they think they want to do because of the staffing um, levels. It just tears them apart because the heart part of it is just so hard for them to walk away and feel like they didn't do as good a job as they've been trained to do. We're chatting with John Brady, who is a nurse, and we're talking about his representation of approximately 7,500 health professionals here in Connecticut as part of the AFT. And Randy Weingarten, I see, has just joined us from Washington, D.C. She's the leader of the AFT nationwide and one of the most influential people in the labor movement. I think it's fair to say if you think about today's labor movement, the name Randy Weingarten would be the first one that would come to mind. Randy Weingarten, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hello. Hey, thank you. It's an honor to uh, be with you and to be with my brother over here, who's you know just in the trenches in Connecticut on these on the healthcare issues um, for so long. But thank you for having us. You know, Randy, I was reading your your bio uh, this morning on Wiki, and I thought to myself, I might have bumped into you a lot here and there in an unwitting way in the years that you were working on Wall Street for Struck, Struck, and Levan. And I was working during those years for Milbank Tweed, which was like a block away. And I yes, thought, it certainly was. right, right there in that little place, we could have we could have literally brushed by each other in that time. Right. But you've gone on since then to have such an extraordinary career representing uh, working people, uh, mostly known for teachers. Um, tip of the hat to you, both my grandmother. My Aunt Cookie and my mother were all New York City school teachers. Just so you know. I love that. Oh, yes. I love that. And if, and and would you do me a favor, which is that I always ask people who are related to my members to give them a hug for me when they next see them. Of course. <laughs> my Aunt Cookie is with my mother right now in Boca. Where else would she be? And so when I'm down there soon, I definitely will give each of them, both of Thank them, you. a hug for you, for sure. Thank I, you. And my cousin Thank Janie you. also. I've got a million people that are all New York City teachers. That's we're, we're, from, <laughs> we're from teachers. Anyway, so Randy, thanks for joining us. I was just chatting with John about the attributes. Very interesting in his own career as, a, as, a, as an airport, airline crafts. Yeah, a defense worker. Defense worker that you became a nurse because somebody noticed that you were good in math and science and obviously had other attributes. And when you were a nurse, John Brady, did you enjoy being a nurse? Oh, I loved it. Um, It it, it, it was the best days and the worst days. You know, um, the the feeling that you walk out and you made a difference in someone's life and you may have saved somebody's life. Oh, for sure you did. Literally. 
quite literally. I mean, that's not a, that's not a feeling you get from a lot of a lot of jobs. Um, and then there's the days when you look at each other, you know, your colleagues at the end of the day, and you and it was a bad day in the ER, and you you lost, you know, like a young person or something. Yeah. And you look at each other and you say, "Go home and hug your kids." Yeah. There, but for the grace of God, I will say, did you not find it extraordinary in the karma of the world that there you are working for a defense contractor whose aim is ultimately to kill people with efficiency and speed, and then you decide to turn around your own karma and devote all of your talents to saving people? I mean, really. That is ironic. Yep. Uh. You shifted your karma big time in this lifetime. Just want to say. Uh, we're chatting 203-333-9422. Okay, so the reason I asked both of you on today is because I want to ask you about staffing ratios in Connecticut. What is going on right now? And let me just set the stage. Our listeners know this. They know this intellectually. They know this viscerally. We've had an enormous consolidation of just a few healthcare companies in just a few years. Everywhere you look, you can't miss a sign that says Hartford Health someplace. Or if it's not Hartford Health, it's Yale New Haven Health. And there's just another two or three others that seemed, New Vance is another one, that have gobbled up all of these hospitals within such a short time. And even though in Connecticut these are not-for-profit institutions, which personally I'm glad about because at least I think the mission statement is right, the reality is that within a not-for-profit enterprise there's still a lot of money being made. And in this consolidation of resources, the public is feeling very often the short end of the stick in terms of less choices. How are nurses fitting into this, and does the nursing union have a position with respect to the consolidation, the ownership of more and more hospitals by any particular one entity, does, does the, do the nurses take it? Does the, do the does the union take a position on this? So, when it comes to consolidation, um, it, it causes several problems. Um, it was supposed to lower prices. It doesn't seem to lower prices. Our, our main concern when there's a consolidation, when there's a certificate of need, and we're quite involved in that in Connecticut. And thank God. In Hold Connecticut. on. Randy, I think that we, we're going to need to either have you unmute or just be in a quieter place because we're getting a little bit of something going on in your office. Okay. Is that, let me do it. I'll put myself on mute as you're, as you're talking to John. Okay. <laughs> okay, Randy. That's good. All um, right. So... When it comes to consolidations, our main concern is that there's not a decrease in services or an increase in prices for the for the people of the area. So many many uh, hospitals have um, have consolidated, and then they've decided they're going to close labor and maternity. You know, we're involved. I've seen that. We're involved in the fight at Wyndham over that. Are you? Yes. So you know, that's our concern. Uh, our first of all, our members live in every community in the state. So. Um, that's a part of it, but also we're just—it's—it's it's part of being a, a healthcare worker or a teacher, or, or state employee—is you're dedicated to the people of Connecticut. So that's our main concern: is that you, you don't have an increase in prices, you don't have a decrease in services. So, are you seeing that when there's a consolidation, how is that affecting, if at all? Your own salary as a nurse, your own benefits as a nurse. Well, it, in, in, in that case, uh, the way it affects us mostly is that it, it limits your choices. Now, it used to be if you were working in one town and you wanted to go work at the hospital in the next town you, or, you know, the next closest one, you could. Now that hospital is owned by the same corporation. So now, now you're limited to just a few corporations that you can go to, and they may not like the idea that you're leaving one hospital to go to one of their other ones. So it does, it does limit that. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Randy Weingart, let me bring you back in here for a global conversation. Are healthcare providers affected by non-compete agreements? Um, some are. Um, some are. Some are not. Um, as, as said, Lisa, um, truly as a lawyer that you are. <laughs> You know, there's just not, um, but but it's it's worse than that, which is um, that the whole healthcare system is broken right now, mm-hmm. and I think that part of what you're hearing from John and why we had that press conference um, to kind of launch the uh, state staffing bills in Connecticut a couple of weeks ago is that it now devolves to the frontline provider to try to deal with all of the brokenness in the healthcare system. So, you know, you have doctors who are just, um, you know, there were a few doctors who actually did a um, an op-ed in the New York Times recently saying that the healthcare system is broken. Um, you have nurses who are bone tired and exhausted not just from COVID, but on the day-to-day basis. You you had the whole respiratory illness, um, pro, you know, that has um, afflicted the nation in the last few months. And because people are so sick and tired of COVID, there has not been the focus that we need to have. And, and so there's just huge exhaustion and devastation of nurses, of respiratory therapists, of, you know, doctors um, all throughout the nation right now um, because they don't get the support, they don't have the staffing that they need. Um, And these, as John just said, these mergers, these acquisitions, and much of which is being done by the private investment community and private equity community, they're so disconnected to communities that they just only care about what their particular bottom line is. So that's why you're seeing this level of pain. We are calling it code red. (laughs) You're seeing this level of pain. I mean, Connecticut hospitals reported a $1.5 billion surplus in 2021. That's in the middle of COVID. So the nurses are just you know, that everything was on their shoulders. Um, and, and, and that's why we're focused, you know, on a, when you're 30,000 feet up, 
we're actually focused on what are the leverage points we can do to, in this broken system, actually provide good patient care and keep our nurses as opposed to having the entire system based upon travelers. I wanted to ask you, um, John, a little bit, just to go into this. The, the headline is Connecticut nurses call for mandating staffing ratios. What's wrong with the staffing ratios we have right now? So right now we actually in Connecticut have a, have a law that um, the hospitals have to have a staffing plan. And in that staffing plan, um, there is a grid which is ratios. It will say, like, for intensive care, it has to be one nurse to every two to three patients. It'll, okay. It'll say on a med surge, it's one nurse to every five to nine patients. And the, the problem is, is that five to nine is crazy. Nine nurses on a med surge floor is nuts. How it's many unsafe. do you need? You need four or five, you know, and for every extra patient you add over four, there's a 7% uh, increased chance that the person will will pass after a hospital um, stay within 30 days. So, so you don't want any nurse to have to manage more than four patients at one time, regardless of their level of need. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go as so far as to say that. But we need to find a, a ratio that makes sense for each type of floor. For each type of floor, and so you think the current legislative guidelines are inadequate. You yes. want to change them as a matter of law. Correct. And okay. the and the current law, the current guidelines call for a staffing committee, but the staffing committees in most hospitals are staffing committees. It's supposed to be half half non management nurses on the staffing committee, but the the staffing committees are usually made up by people who the hospital picks to be on the committee. They don't have to vote to approve the plan, so we'd like to add those things to that. So let me ask you something. We're chatting with John Brady and Randy Weingarten with respect to hospitals in Connecticut. And these negotiations, or, or or in real life, do some hospitals have more staffing than other hospitals, or do they all sort of talk to each other and all have about the same? They're all about the same. As a matter of fact, if you take the staffing plans from the hospitals, when you collect them from hospital to hospital, yeah, you you could just print off one copy, and the numbers might be slightly different, but the words in all of the paragraphs before and after the numbers are almost word for word. So, as a patient. If the staffing plans are more or less the same, is there a difference in the quality of health care delivered? Are there some hospitals that demand or do a better job of training or, I don't know, fringe benefits for nurses that make them enjoy their job more and do a better job at it? I think that they would all claim they do. Um, and I think if you ask the nurses at all of those particular hospitals, they would feel that theirs was at the bottom of the list. The bottom of the list. Oh, isn't that lovely? Randy, you listening to this? Think, so, so nobody's yeah, going to no. brag and say they work for a great institution right now. I Not right now. And, and in fact, part of the, you know, the irony is they all want to get the award that the American Nursing <laughs> Association gives them, which doesn't have any nurses actually being part of that process either. So I think the reason we have gotten to very tangible numbers on staffing is because the profit motive as opposed to patient care and worker fatigue and worker morale, the profit motive takes not only priority, but first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth priority. 
And and so we're thinking that the only way that we can put patient care back as priority and recruit and retain enough nurses who will stay in the profession is if we um, do these staffing ratios. But Randy, I don't understand this. There mm -hmm. are two kinds of models for hospitals in this country. One are stated for-profit, and I have a big issue with that personally. But the other, which is what we have in Connecticut, are not-for-profit models. So what's happening now that didn't happen 50 years ago when these community hospitals started as local not-for-profit institutions? What are you saying has gone wrong at the top? What has happened is that just there has been a monopolistic instinct started as, oh, we can, as John said earlier, oh, we can save money if we consolidate. So there's been all these consolidations, but these hospitals have been bought by um, an umbrella that is a profit-making entity. So, you know, Take Hartford Health, even if it pretends that pieces of it are not for profit, there are there, you know, you're seeing that conglomerate making money off of patients and not putting the money back in. The Wyndham situation is a perfect example. I mean, we had two um, small, we've, we've had strikes at Bacchus. We've had strikes at Wyndham. We've tried to actually, from ground up, make patient care better. We've had to resort to strikes because the powers that be in these hospital systems are too disconnected. So they look at their bottom line, including squeezing out money for profits as opposed to plowing everything back into patient care. And there's huge swaths of federal and state money that they get, but they're not accountable for patient care first and foremost. But Randy, as not-for-profit institutions with the mission of being not-for-profit, where I don't understand. Where is the money going if they're not plowing it back into patient care? They're not giving it to shareholders. They're not looking at stock prices. What's happening to the money? The money, think about, <clears throat> I mean, I'll, I'll go to um, one of the hospital systems in New York. Montefiore Hospital in New York should have been one of the most important, you know, um, uh, systems in the Bronx. They have a huge advertising budget right now. If you go to Madison Square Garden, in the middle of Madison Square Garden, you see the Montefiore sign. What the heck is that? Why are you advertising in Madison Square Garden instead of spending that money on patient care? So there's um, there there's what's what's happening with a bunch of these hospital systems <clears throat> is that they are morphing into giant monoliths that um, are owned by private equity and hedge funds. How's that possible? I don't understand how that can be possible. I'm, I'm quite I mean, serious. It's a legal are, matter. I don't I mean, understand that. Right. Well, but look at what's look at what's happening in terms of Hartford Health. How it's gobbling these things up. Look at what's happening in terms of the Providence system on the um, West Coast. Um, so if you actually start unpacking and unwrapping things, you see ownership interests 
that are really different than they used to be. So you could still have, okay, we still have this, you know, nice little community health care plan like Wyndham. Oh, it's a community health care plan. Who is it owned by? What is going on in terms of those ownership interests? Where is the money going? And we are on a national level starting to unwrap that and unpack that. That's why, you know, look, Connecticut hospitals reported. That's why I keep on going back to this number. They reported a $1.5 billion surplus in 2021. Surplus. Why is that money not being plowed back into patient care? I don't know. So you want to call it profit? You want to call it surplus? Where is it going? Why is it not going to patient care? Somebody will say, well, you know, we need to have a rainy day fund. Yes, of course we need to have a rainy day fund. But if you have no... What, what if you don't have the staffing anymore, if all of a sudden you're replacing all the staffing with travelers because you can't fill those nurse positions anymore, mm. regardless of how much money we may you know, actually have in salaries, how are we going to ensure that, that patients get proper care? You can't have in an emergency, I'm sorry, you can't have in an intensive care unit um, a ratio of four nurses, I mean, of four patients to one nurse. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. If you have on a floor, um, you know, on a, on a pediatric floor, you know, 30 kids on that floor, and you only have two or three nurses, oh, how is that possible? That. It's not. So what I'm saying is that's part of the reason why we're actually moving to trying to make real, um, tangible staffing ratios that that we can hold hospitals accountable to and for and then they say and plead poverty and then we say okay where what are you doing with a 1.5 billion dollar surplus like what are you doing with it and so that's our question too what are they doing with the money so the there's an increasing number of, of of hospitals that are private or or for profit not public not not for profit anymore but what's also happening is you see in the midst of COVID, they got a huge amount of money from the federal government yes. to try to deal with the emergency. And, 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 and instead of actually dealing with and making sure that patient care was, was, was predominant, you see the surpluses, including in Connecticut. Randy Weingarten, John Brady, thank you very much for being with us uh, during this time. I guess the bill which is a bill now, right, is going to be making its way through the legislature. Is that right, John? Yeah, we don't have a bill number yet, but um, we it will be a, coming out of a committee, so it'll be a committee bill, which gives it a little more um, power. Um, and they are working actually on language on it um, as we speak. I, I had conversations with the chairs the last two days when they had questions about language. Um, and, and frankly, one of the questions was, how how important are these numbers mm. in your thing? And I said, you know, they are important. Well, you'll keep us surprised of all of this. John Brady, thanks for coming in studio. Randy Weingarten, thanks for joining us from Washington, D.C. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.